So, hey, I've got uh, Rick with me tonight. Uh, you there? Yeah, John, I'm here. Oh, good, good. You're you're down there in Texas. Are you guys getting a little better better weather now? Uh, compared to a week ago, it's, uh, <laughs> it's it's tremendously better. It's hard to believe that uh, a week ago it was like uh, in, in the teens, and and now it's in the 70s. But there was a week when uh, you know Texas was experiencing uh, low temperatures like it hadn't seen in uh, in you know, 50 years at least. Right? It, have has it ever gotten this bad? I mean, as far as I don't know how long you've lived there, but. Um, it kind of seems like a once in a lifetime sort of event happened in the past few weeks. I I heard that something like this might happen might happen twice in a lifetime. Really? Yeah. So it's it's very rare. Usually the winters are fairly mild. We'll get you know we might get into the uh, into the 30s, maybe the high 20s for one or two nights during the entire season. But this was a week uh, of just um, several days where it was in the teens and it was just uh, and power went out and, and power was out for, you know, for some people a couple of days at least. So and, and Texas is just not used to that. They, 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 they've no. never had this this go on. Sure. Sure. So uh, uh we connected and uh so we'll we'll just kind of let you explain to the to the listeners what you do and and i guess you've just finished up a book uh and you know just kind of give us an idea of of who you are and what you do and and tell us a little bit about your book okay sure i i reached out uh, because i'm i'm trying to um uh, and get help with reaching to uh, as many families and parents and and other people who are interested in adolescent substance abuse because this has become such such a problem uh, for so many families and so many parents and I've been in this field for over two decades. I started in Illinois where I worked uh, uh, in education for years, when, uh, but I also worked in a mental health uh, regional mental health crisis center. I began to see a lot of people who were having not only mental health issues, but substance abuse issues. So I went back to school and, and got licensed and, and, and trained in addictions. Um, it continued to work at the crisis center for a while, took a job with Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, as an addictions counselor. Menninger is a, uh, it, it's a psychiatric hospital. Um, but a lot of the uh, patients that come into Menninger have not only a mental health issue, they have a substance abuse issue. So I was hired to be an addictions counselor for Menninger, and I worked there for over a decade. And in the process, I've met a lot of families and a lot of parents whose kids were using substances. And one of the most common responses I heard from parents when I sat down with them and, and, and went over their child's history of using substances and gave them a diagnosis, they would look at me and they would say something like, I had no idea this was going on. Or if, or if they did know, they would say, well, I suspected something was going on, but uh, I, I didn't think it was this bad. So that led me to put together this, this book. It only runs about 100 pages because I wanted it to be something that I wish I would have had when, when I was raising my son, you know, a, a concise, easy to read document that covers the basics of adolescent substance abuse. I can read it fairly quickly and walk away thinking I've got a better understanding of this now. So that's what motivated me to want to write this book was to help parents and give them a roadmap on educating and helping them feel more informed about this topic. 
Sure. And what's the name of the book? The name of the book is The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. So when we're talking about adolescence, what ages, what age range are we are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about everything from preteen all the way up to um, seniors in high school, uh, 17, 18 years old. So it's, uh, it's that span of preteen all the way through high school. And then how, how do you, um, what's the words I want to use here? So I think about, um, you know, myself personally, uh, I always am very curious about anybody that, that has an addictive personality or addiction in general, because personally, I, I'm I'm good with whatever. I, I can kind of sort of take and leave. So it, it for some, um, on some level, I, I can't, I have a hard time understanding, you know, the attraction and the pull. And then, so in something like what we're talking about here, are what's the differ differentiate between I remember being uh, a teenager and of course having you know teenage parties and woods parties and things of the nature where you'd you'd have a few beers with your friends or a lot of beers with your friends and it, that's not what you're talking about as far as you what know, where's where's the line there where uh oh we have a serious problem because I don't obviously it's not probably good for you um the regular teenage experimentation and, and what have you. But I, I don't know that looking back that many people had a, a life altering uh, problem that, you know, needed corrected at some point. So what's, where, where do you start to draw the line or what's the signs of this is a, a serious problem? I, I think, I think you draw the line and you start to seeing it become more of a problem when, when you notice that it's, it's, it's causing consequences in, in a child's life. Uh, there are changes going on in that child. Uh, some of these changes might be related to academic performance. They might be related to appearance. They might be related to social uh, events going on. Um, so I always advise parents pay, pay attention to the changes that you see in, the, in your child. Some of these changes might just be a result of normal adolescent development, but don't assume that that's the case. Check it out if you see some changes and you notice some changes going on in your child. Um, not every child uh, who uses a substance is, is going to become dependent on it. Um, not every child who uses a substance has an underlying psychological issue that's driving it, but a lot do. Um, so you just need to be aware. You need to know what the warning signs are. Um, and, and the warning signs are, are, are throughout my book so that you pay attention to those warning signs. And if needed, you follow up and, 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 and get some assessments done. So you as a parent have all the information about what's going on. Sure. So what would be a situation like a hypothetical situation where you said earlier that a, uh, you, you had some parents in front of you and you were explaining, you know, the depth of the addiction and usage that the um, child, you know, had and they didn't have any idea. So what how does it get to that point where you're sitting there? Because if the if the parents didn't obviously have an understanding or an idea um, of what was going on, what happened, or, you know, what could happen that would lead them to be sitting in front of you and, and having that conversation? The behavior gets out of control. 
the behavior becomes more than just op oppositional. You know, you you have a child who, um, you know, is 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 overly reactive, is uh, very angry, perhaps is getting in trouble with with school, perhaps is getting in trouble with the law. Um, it, it's really an escalating situation. For most of the kids that, that I was working with at Menninger, because it's a psychiatric hospital, when we did the assessment and looked beyond just the alcohol and drugs, we found out in many cases there were some rather serious underlying psychological issues going on. The child might have uh, severe anxiety or might be suffering from depression or might have post-traumatic stress disorder going on, or there might be an emerging personality disorder that's starting to show up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there could be a lot of reasons that that are that are pushing a child to using a substance sometimes it's 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 to medicate an underlying issue that needs to be addressed as well um, sometimes it's uh, it's it's peer peer involvement and, and it gets carried away but but uh, the the parents that brought their kids uh, into my hospital had 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 really let it get to a situation where it was either life-threatening or it was very much out of control and they felt that they had no other resort but to put their kid in a hospital mm. Oof, that's gonna be a tough one it is a tough one, uh, you know, and, and, and it's difficult for parents to do, but, but they were backed in, literally backed into a corner where, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, this, this had gotten so out of control that it had become really very threatening. And what, so what kind of substances are we talking about that the, you know, the, these kids are, are using? Well, alcohol and marijuana continue to be the, the two most popular substances in, in the teen, teen population. Um, those are the ones that, that kids are using uh, more so than any other substance. Uh, there is some use of, of um, things like cocaine, maybe 3% of seniors. Uh, there's a, maybe 4% of seniors are using LSD. Uh, there's a little bit more use for uh, some of the prescription drugs like Ritalin and mm -hmm. Adderall, Adderall roughly about 4% of seniors, um, and, and a little bit high, higher among some general prescription drugs. But, but overall, marijuana and alcohol continue to be the primary substances. Now, what we've noticed in the last three years is that there has been a surge in adolescents who have turned to vaping. Hmm. where they'll they'll take a substance like nicotine or marijuana, they'll use an electronic pin or a USB t looking type of device, turn the material into a vapor and then inhale it. That's what we call vaping. Hmm. Well, in the last three years, there's been a surge of vaping. For example, uh, three years ago, 18% of seniors were vaping nicotine. Today, it's 34%. Um, three years ago, 9% of seniors were vaping marijuana. Today, it's 22%. So we're seeing a dramatic increase in, in vaping. And some of the studies that are coming out for both adults and adolescents who are vaping, st we're starting to see things where they're reporting difficulty in concentrating and remembering. So it's, it, it's becoming more and more of a problem in the adolescent population. So do you think vaping is taking the place of cigarettes and cigarette smoking? That always Absolutely. seem like thing. So is vaping more detrimental than than cigarettes or is it kind of a kind of a wash? Well, you're right. Uh, we are seeing a significant decline in cigarette smoking. It's probably at the lowest level that it's been in, in, in a very long time. But, but kids have switched from smoking cigarettes to vaping nicotine. Mm -hmm. Now, 
you know, when you talk to kids, they're very likely to tell you, well, the vaping's safer, safer than smoking a <laughs> right. cigarette, you know. And, and in a certain respect, that's right, because when you smoke a cigarette, you're not just getting nicotine, you're getting hundreds of other chemicals. Mm-hmm. But the problem with vaping is, um, although you're just getting pure nicotine, you're getting higher concentrations of that nicotine, which means you're sending more nicotine to your brain, and it's it's uh, more likely to do damage and more likely that you're going to get addicted to nicotine quicker. So you're getting higher concentrations of nicotine by vaping. Mm-hmm. And so what is the negative consequences, you know, not just of vaping, of, of all these? What do you, what do you see? Um, I mean, obviously... We, we all know what happens if you drink too much. Um, yeah. But as far as uh, the vaping and marijuana and uh, some of these others, what what are you seeing as their negative consequences from that? Well, well, when when I was working with with kids who were smoking a lot of marijuana, these were kids that were smoking multiple times a day. Their IQs were all average to above average to superior. Um, when the psychological testing came back on them, what I found was their short-term memory was impaired. The processing speed of their brain was less than what it should be. Their motivation wasn't quite what it should be. So it was very clear that smoking marijuana the way that they did was changing their brain, so mm-hmm. to speak, uh, because the the brain just wasn't moving along the way it should be. Now, was all of that due to marijuana? Probably not. Was marijuana contributing to it? Yeah, probably sure. was. Um, so, so we could see some of some of that going on, and and that's what the main emphasis is about adolescent substance abuse: is the fact that adolescent brains are in the process of developing. We don't get developed till 24, 25. So when you start putting drugs into a developing brain, especially at a very young age, you risk the, you run the risk of having some really serious consequences go on. Sure. So, you know, one of the things that I'm very curious about with all this is how do you feel that, um, so as state by state, it seems like we're legalizing marijuana on a regular basis. And, you know, I don't, I don't have an ax to grind either way. Um, but I'm just seeing it, you know, starting to become more like alcohol. And one of the things that I look at, you know, when you're looking at marijuana and different things is you have this unregulated substance that's floating around and people are getting it usually in the most sketchiest of ways. So it's not like you're going to the liquor store and you're buying a case of beer. You know what a case of beer does. Uh, you're meeting some guy somewhere and, you know, sketchily buying your your marijuana from him. And who knows what that is? Who knows how potent? Who knows how good it is? How bad it is? If there's something else in it that's, you know, dangerous. Um, so I I look at, the, personally, I look at this whole situation and, and I think, you know, I, I honestly don't think that uh, teenage and younger folks should be smoking marijuana at all, uh, especially, you know, the, the effects on what it does is your brain on your brain as it's forming. But also, I, I'm starting to look at it like maybe it'd be better off if there was a regulated source that there was a um, quote unquote um, pure, you know, you know what you're getting sort of situation. You don't you don't, you know, buy a can of Budweiser. And it's straight vodka. It's it's always Budweiser, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I, I think that's a valid point. Uh, you know, the, the the one benefit of 
of legalization of marijuana is it allows for uh, stricter regulation of, of what you're actually getting. You can regulate the purity of it. You can regulate the THC content. Uh, you don't have to buy it off the street where you can pretty well be assured that it may be containing something other than marijuana, right. uh, which, which makes it much more risky. For So from that standpoint, I, I think it's, it's, it's probably um, less risky if you're buying marijuana in a state where it's regulated. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's for adults. Again, right. I get back to the issue that no matter uh, whether it's regulated uh, by the state, marijuana use uh, from, a, from a neuroscience point of view is, is not a good idea for anybody whose brain is still in the process of developing. Sure, I agree. Mike, I guess my thought was, are you worried about the regulation or the deregulation of, or I guess... The legalization, not the deregulation, uh, the legalization of marijuana that is going to be more readily and easily available. Just like, you know, um, right now there's some beer in my fridge. If if my kids happen to be here when I was not, they could just open the fridge and get beer. Um, they would have to go somewhere and, and buy marijuana. Um, whereas if it was legalized, it would probably be more readily available just as, you know, alcohol is. Do you worry that this is going to create more of a problem or do you think the problem is going to exist regardless of legalized or not? I, I think there's always a risk, um, even if it's illegal and, and parents have it in their own house. Uh, you know, I, I always I advise parents, if you have any drugs in, in, in prescription drugs um, or even non-prescription drugs in your house, and you have adolescents and children in that house. You need to secure those uh, secure those substances and and and, and alcohol too. I've I've had uh, some teenagers that have been very clever about <laughs> raiding the medicine cabinet and raiding the liquor cabinet, and their parents have no idea of what's going on. So it's just wise that parents be very cautious about any type of medications, prescription drugs, non-prescription drugs, and alcohol uh, if they ha if they have adolescents. Uh, in their house sure so do you think it's you, do you think it's always you know i guess it's probably case by case but the the thing that uh i have noticed in my life was the the people who seem to have the biggest substance problems always have some underlying issue and i think you you know mentioned they were sort of self-medicating um you know they're they're dealing with some sort of trauma or depression or or whatever you know it is so how do you how do you separate those two because if you know correct me if i'm wrong it seems like you're never going to cure the addiction unless you cure the underlying cause you know that you're, you're trying to either drink away or medicate away um so how you know do you guys immediately just head and try and find that little secret out or you know how do you you know What's the procedure once you, you know, you have a a person in front of you that's really struggling and, and having some issues? Well, once once you discover through a comprehensive assessment and diagnosis that you're dealing with uh, a person, a child, an adolescent who has both a substance use disorder and an underlying psychological issue, then you need to treat both. You can't just treat the marijuana use and ignore the anxiety, um, because if you don't treat the anxiety, you might 
be successful in keeping that young man or young woman away from marijuana for a period of time, but chances are they're going to relapse because nobody likes to have what I call intolerable thoughts or feelings or memories. They're intolerable. And and once we find something that relieves that feeling for us, Mm -hmm. like maybe the marijuana or the alcohol, we're going to continue to turn to that because we don't like that feeling or that thought or that memory. So if I just treat the addiction and I don't treat the underlying issue for people who have that underlying issue, chances are um, I'm not going to be too, too successful at, at keeping them off of the substance over a long period of time. You need to treat both. So do you do you get people in that just have an addiction to a substance and that's it? There's no, there's never, you know, I'm, I'm not saying never, but most of the, there, there's a category of people we'll say that come in, they have an addiction to a substance for whatever reason. And you're able to just work on that addiction and there's not something else going on somewhere that, that helps contribute to the overall problem. Yeah, that, that, that's possible because again, not, not everybody's the same there. There, there are going to be people, for example, that are um, addicted to alcohol, adults who are just alcoholics. So mm-hmm. They may not be using marijuana or cocaine or anything else. They're, they're, their go-to relief is alcohol. Um, and, and, and maybe there is, maybe there isn't an underlying issue. But if you have somebody and you do the assessments and all the tests and you find out, OK, there's, there's not a lot of psychological issues going on here. This person is just addicted to uh, mm-hmm. cocaine or marijuana. Well, then you can just focus on sending them to a treatment program or coming up with a with a program that will just focus on the substance use because you've, you've ruled out any other issues that are contributing to it. And then how, you know, I'm always curious about that. So how does that even work? How do, how do you, how do you take somebody that's addicted to, we'll just say alcohol, for example, and, and completely wean them off? Like how, what's that, what's that look like? I'm, I'm completely, I'm completely ignorant in this area. So, Well, it's a great, it's a good question because it points to the issue that there is no one treatment for everybody. It has to be individualized. Um, and when we, when we diagnose somebody with a substance use disorder, it can be either mild, moderate, or severe. Um, you know, where a person falls within that continuum, quite honestly, is based upon how disruptive the drug is in their life. You know, the the more consequences that are there, the more likely the person starts to move from mild to moderate to severe. So a person with a diagnosis of mild alcohol abuse or mild marijuana use might do very well in an outpatient program or seeing a counselor. Somebody who has a severe diagnosis, we'll say cannabis or alcohol use disorder that's severe, is more likely going to need some type of maybe 30-day program, some type of residential program. So once you do the assessment and you're able to assess the severity of, of the disorder, the severity of the, of the addiction, that's going to tell you what type of treatment program would best be there for this person. I see. Interesting. Yeah, it just seems, uh, I, I, I'm, I don't know if you have kids or not, but I, uh, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> like getting any information at all out of my kid or my neighbor's kids or my family's kids seems like the most <laughs> impossible thing in the whole wide world. I, I can't imagine, uh, how you guys are able to extract 
meaningful information out. It just seems like kids, I don't want to say they're too smart, but they, they seem to get the gig. And I, I, how do you, how do you go from, you know, I, I basically would feel that most kids would, especially under this, um, you know, um, it's illegal for starters for anybody underage to, to be just alcohol, for example. So now you're not only admitting to a crime, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how do you, how do you get these kids to open up and, and really talk about this and, and what it, it seems like the most impossible conversation and job in the entire world to me. Well, it, 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 it can be a challenge. I will say that. Um, I actually, you know, uh, enjoyed working with, with the teenagers, uh, uh, and, and for a parent, um, it, it, it's a difficult decision to make, but but it's a decision that has to be made. You need as a parent to get that information and get those assessments. If if you have a good reason to believe that your child is using alcohol or using drugs, um, you, you you need to get that assessment done. Now that your child's probably not going to want it, probably going to fight you all the way. But bottom line is, you need to get that assessment done. In terms of, of, of getting the information, um, you know, that, that really gets to the skill of the counselor and how well they're able to develop a, a rapport, a relationship with with that young man or, or young woman. And, and and what I found is that if, if, if you can listen to them and, and, and not just listen to their words, but listen to their feelings and they get the idea that you're not there to judge them, that you're there to understand them, then you're more likely to begin to make progress. Now, it may not happen in the first meeting. It might not happen in the first five meetings or the first mm-hmm. 10 meetings. But but the more that you continue to meet with them as a counselor and, and listen to them, you, you end up listening more than talking. And they get to, to, to the feeling that you're there not to judge them, that you're there to understand what's going on. Um, then you might be able to open the door where you can start to make some progress. So what would, you know, obviously the... Uh the average parent I'm going to guess is to start off with in some sort of denial about, you know, maybe there being an issue. Maybe I I guess they're all different. Um, But how would a parent go about identifying this issue? Like, so I know you said in your book, there there is a a few warning signs and and different things, but how would a a parent, like I, I watch, um, my daughter's just about to turn nine, so I haven't gone through the teenage years, but I've watched uh, a lot of my friends go through the teenage years with their kid. And I'm not sure how you can differentiate between, and maybe it'd be a long pattern, I guess, but um, they just seem to go crazy on a regular basis, for lack of better terms, <laughs> you know? And how how do you figure out whether they're just acting out as you know, people who are dealing with all sorts of hormonal changes in life and, and different things, as opposed to, uh oh, we really have some sort of problem here. Because I, I see, you know, I've seen a couple parents um, overreact and they sort of went, they have to be on something. They're, they're acting so crazy. And as it turns out, they're just teenagers. And then I've seen other parents who are completely the other way where they're like, they're fine. And, you know, as other parents, you kind of see like, geez, they're, they're constantly sneaking beers out of the house or, or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, Hey, you know, you, you have more of a problem here than you think. So how as a parent, do you, what's, what's the, how do you figure that out? 
Well, I point out in my book that that most parents are are, are not equipped through training and education to be able to to, to do this assessment. Um, they need to rely on professionals that that have the experience and have the training and the education to be able to sort this out for them. And that's that's really what you need. You need to have a professional um, who can who can figure all of this out for you, uh, give you a diagnosis, and and make recommendations because. Um, it's very hard for the average parent to sort of figure out, well, okay, what what I'm seeing here seems a little weird, but I don't know if this is just normal adolescent acting out or if my kid's just pissed off or, <laughs> or, or, if it, or you know, is mad at me and, and, and taking stuff out on me or is there something really going on here? Um, you know, you, you may not know that the child is, is using a substance, but the behaviors indicate that there's something there's something not right here. Maybe it's drug related. Maybe it's not. But um, but I sure as heck can't figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 that's where you rely on the professionals to help you sort through this and, and, and give you the information that you need to make decisions. So if you were gonna, if you're going to take a. Uh... <clears throat> We'll just take a hundred random sixteen-year-olds. Uh, How many, in your experience, do you think have some sort of substance issue? Like, do you think it's you know five, ten, twenty? Is it higher, lower? Like, what what do you feel is the kind of? Well, I can tell you that the data shows that, for example, roughly a little over fifty per fifty-five percent, roughly, of seniors are drinking alcohol. Um, I can tell you that about a little over a third of seniors are using marijuana. Um, now, that's not to say that, you know, they're, they're using this or drinking every day. It's just they report uh, mm-hmm. every year um, the extent of their use. So, you know, uh, <clears throat> I think that there is a problem out there that these substances are out there, and that's what parents need to be aware of. There's, <clears throat> there's two things that I think are, are, are concerning. One is the availability of these substances. Um, if you ask kids, um, you know, how easy is it for you to get marijuana? 80% of them are going to tell you it's fairly easy for them to find it if they want it. Mm-hmm. And, and about 30% will tell you if they want to find LSD, they have no problem doing that. Wow. Um, and alcohol, you know, over 80% would say, if I want to find alcohol, it, I, I think it's easy to do. So it's very, very um, disturbing in a way that these substances are so readily available to these teenagers. Now, in addition to that, the availability, there's the issue of how harmful do these kids think these substances are? And what we're finding is that they don't think that these substances are very harmful. For example, only about 30% of seniors would tell you that smoking marijuana every day is harmful. Only 30% would tell you that. Hmm. And, and um, only about 25% or so of seniors would tell you having one or two drinks nearly every day is not a great risk. Um, so I think the availability of drugs being so easily available and these kids perception that it's not very harmful, whether it's alcohol or marijuana, I think those, those are two conditions that sort of lead us to why we're in the situation where alcohol and marijuana are, are so popular among these kids. They don't think they're harmful and they're easy to get. And why do you think that is? What, what do you think's driving that? Do you think it's a society wide, you know, I mean, obviously alcohol 
has been more than glamorized um, in every aspect of society. Um, it doesn't seem, you know, uh, everything from music to movies to, you know, TV to, I mean, just for example, I'll give you, for instance, is um, we all met up with our friends tonight and had uh, it's wing night at the local legion. And uh, there's a pretty good mix of families and everybody in there, but everybody's having a beer and it just seems like a no big deal sort of situation. So do you think it's, it's a society influence or do you think it's more of a cultural um, that the, they kind of get this idea? Because I, you know, I remember even when I went to school, when, when I went to school, I, I didn't ever run into anything besides yeah. alcohol until I was probably... 1920 was probably the first time I was around anybody smoking marijuana. And, uh, it, it, you know, it just wasn't a thing. There was, there was alcohol around. And I feel like today things are completely different. <laughs> like there's stuff everywhere. I hear some horror stories from the, some of the high school kids that I know. And, you know, they're telling us about different things that are going on. You're just like, how does this, how is this happening? Like what, what has changed so dramatically from maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago to now it seems like a whole different world it, it does seem that way I, I know when i was in high school and college you know that alcohol I, I don't i don't even remember thinking about alcohol much less seeing it around and marijuana uh yeah i knew about woodstock and things like that but mm -hmm. uh, it's a, it's it's nowhere near you know what's going on with these days and, and maybe it's the availability that's increased it's more widely available uh, maybe it's society has changed. Um, and I think a certain aspect is that, you know, teenagers just don't see all of the negative consequences uh, from smoking marijuana or drinking alcohol. Yeah, they might hear about it every once in a while, but it's not personal to them. You know, they uh, unless a friend of theirs gets harmed, you know, they, they, they've heard the stories, but it doesn't register to them. Um, and, and that's why I found that in working with these kids, it doesn't do me any good to tell them it's illegal. It doesn't mm -hmm. do me any good to tell them if they keep smoking marijuana, their grades might drop, they might graduate, might not graduate, they might not get a job. They don't, they don't care about that. They don't believe it. But, but what I did find worked with them was the neuroscience. When I could talk to them about how their brain works and I could show them the different parts of the brain and what they were responsible for, this part of the brain is responsible for your coordination and this one's responsible for your memory and this one's available, this one helps you with your, uh, with, you know, higher order thinking. And, and then I would show them another graph and, and showed them where marijuana attached itself to the brain. Then they could see, okay, now it makes sense. Now I understand why my short-term memory is not as good as it used to be. Now I understand why the processing speed is just, my brain's just not clicking along. Now I understand why my motivation is not so bad. They could actually see the connection between using marijuana and how it affected their brain and, 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 and what they were feeling. That made a difference to them. Sure. So when they could actually see the, the direct effects, that right. was the only really thing that would would kind of hit home yeah. because when you're a young kid, when you, when you say, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, you think are never going to happen. It seems like in your lifetime and uh, you, you just kind of push it off. Like, yeah, I, I, you know, you, you said getting good grades and why that matters or, or graduating or, or all these things you, you really, you know, and, and you're partly right. A lot of that stuff doesn't matter. 
but it does. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those hard things to to uh, to kind of weigh sometimes because um, the important thing is that your mind's present regardless of of all yeah. that other stuff. And when you can show them that you're damaging the only one mind that you have, uh, maybe it's time to do something a little different. So I can see where that would hit home a little more than than you know a random consequence in the near to late future yeah and they have the perception too okay you're telling me all these bad things i know they happen to some people but it's not going to happen to me sure no it's like you know okay it's not going to happen to me um but unfortunately uh it can you know it it can happen to you um and and protecting your brain is is something that uh, is is very important to do how do you think all of the lockdowns and through the pandemic has, you know, has, you know, I, I kind of look at it in one way. Well, we, we've removed a lot of the social interactions um, that probably young people are having. So yeah. is there some uh, decrease in abuse or has it increased due to, you know, some isolation or depression or, or something of that nature from the, you know, being locked down and not at school. I think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg in terms of what this pandemic is doing for both adults and adolescents when it comes to mental health. Um, I, I think, you know, th- this has disrupted uh, families and, and kids. It's, it's, it's had a tremendous impact on adults uh, uh, as well as kids. Everybody has been thrown into a different environment, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. almost a different universe. Um, the CDC is noting that um, uh, the, as a result of the pandemic, there's been an increase in children and teens need for mental health. Uh, for example, since the pandemic, there's been a 24% increase in emergency room visits by grade school children, and, th- and there's been a 30% increase for teenagers who are in some type of need for mental health. So it's, it's having enough. I think we're only beginning to see some of the impact it's had. Uh, the other thing is um, we talked about process addictions being behavioral addictions. A good example is is video gaming. You know, um, 70% of kids under the age of 18 have some type of, of console, some type of equipment to play games. And, and um, during 2020, during the pandemic, half of the children and teens were on these systems more than six hours a day. And, and that's a 500% increase over 2019 because they've been sort of locked down at home. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they're online in school, you know, they're, they're not spent. I don't think they're spending as much time on their schoolwork as they would if they were in, the, in, in, in a traditional classroom. So they have a lot more free time. Um, so there's no question in my mind that, that the results of this pandemic are going to have um, mental health um, ramifications for adults and for kids and, and, for, and for quite a while. Uh, absolutely. One of the strange things through this whole thing was um, when, when you talk about mental health, especially when it, when it, well, we're almost exactly a year to when it all started, you know, and yeah. I, I remember roughly about this time. Well, I remember because my daughter's birthday is this weekend and I remember my wife and I starting to have conversations about like, Mm. <laughs> everything seems kind of weird here. Like, should we be worried that, you know, there's something crazy company coming, but then also you sort of 
rationalize that you don't want to over worry about something that's never going to happen. And then as we slipped into completely everybody stay home and we're locked down and all that good stuff. Um, we went from, it is a really weird thing for, for us. We, we live in a very country, um, uh, setting here. And, um, one of the things that I wasn't expecting, like if you were to go back at the beginning of this and, you know, ask me what I thought, you know, explain what was going to happen and, and tell me what I, you thought would come out of it or I thought would come out of it. And our close neighbors our our next door and few doors down neighbors. Um, we've become way better friends and we were already good friends, but we're almost more like family now. Um, where we didn't have anywhere to go, didn't have anything to do, couldn't go anywhere. And the only people that you relatively felt safe being around were the people that you could see every day and you had to see them anyways. Um, so, you know, we all became closer. And the, the but coming here is we also drank way more. <laughs> like yeah. We just had nothing to do. So you'd sit around, you're all, you know, worried about what's going to happen, whether it's job-wise or health-wise or family-wise. And, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's sitting around, you know, come over and have a couple of beers or whatever. And uh, yeah. all of a sudden we're like, holy cow, we've, we've gone through a tremendous amount of alcohol uh, this month. And obviously <laughs> that's not great for you, but I, I'm kind of conflicted on, on, on some level of we, our relationships have gotten stronger when we just were sitting around all the time uh, as, you know, has this spawned really good friendships and a whole bunch of alcoholics? You know what I mean? <laughs> like what, you know, what is going to be the long-term effects of, of this past year? It seems crazy. I, I, I would suspect that probably, uh, you know, once, once we move out of this pandemic and get back to the way things used to be, uh, uh, the drinking will subside back to where it used to be. Um, because I think your example is, is what happens to many people, you know, they're, they're locked down, they're out of contact with uh, work colleagues and, 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 and other people that they normally socialize with. And, and it's very convenient then to have a few drinks every once in a while, or maybe even every day. But, um, I, I don't really believe that those people are going to turn into raging alcoholics. And I suspect that like a lot of things, once we get out of this, things are going to return back to some sense of, of, of normalcy in the way it used to be. What do you think the long-term effects on children are going to be through all this? Not just substance abuse wise, but overall, you know, I, I think we, as, as parents, we need to be concerned about them getting back into the, into the, the, the routine of the way it was before. Uh, for many children, it'll be an, an easy switch. They'll just get back and it'll be as if they never, this never happened. Mm -hmm. For some other kids, it might be a little bit more transition for them going from basically home study, being confined at home, and then thrown back into, you know, the classroom of 20, 30 kids, whatever it is, and everything, you know, happening at once. That might become a little bit overwhelming for these kids. So I think we just need to be sensitive that these kids go Going back to the way it was before, uh, for some kids, it'll be really easy for them to do. For others, it may be a little bit more difficult. So as a parent, we need to keep we need to keep in touch with how our kids are feeling and what they're thinking as they integrate back into school. Um, and, and, and it's important that when we talk to to our kids, 
um, and, and this is in my parent workbook, we, we learn the skill, which we can all do, it just takes practice, but we're all capable of being able to do it, that when we're talking to, talking to our kids, we're not just listening to their words, we're listening to their feelings, um, so that we, we, they get the impression and we're understanding what's really going on. But as they transition back into school, um, I, I think we need to be sensitive that for some of these kids, that's going to be a difficult adjustment. Sure. So here's another one for you. And as a, a mental health professional, I'm just curious of your take on this. And um, in the past year, I feel like we've spent 12 months, no matter what you believed or what side of anything you're on, just neck deep in every sort of conspiracy theory known to man. From from the government to, I mean, hell, we even had alien stuff to the COVID, you know, whether that's political or real and then the vaccines and then the presidential election. There's just, it was just this nonstop onslaught, onslaught, onslaught of information that you could not discern whether it was true, not true. But luckily you had all day to sit and read it because there was nothing else going on. And, uh, or unluckily, and I, you know, I'm shocked because I've always been somebody that's been mildly, um, interested in conspiracy type stuff. Not that I'm a great, I just, I always get a kick out of reading a lot of the, like the JFK stuff and all things like that. And, you know, you'd find your way around different things on the internet. And then through this past year, just regular people start telling you about stuff that you're like, wait, how the hell do you know about that? And <laughs> Oh, I was reading, I was bored the other day and I went down this rabbit hole on YouTube. And what is strange is I feel like we, we are a society of people now who will not believe a single thing. Um, it, it's just, it, something strange has happened in the past year and I, I don't know what to make of it. And I'm really worried that um, the fabric that holds society together slipped a little bit and our kids are picking up on that. Because I've heard my daughter say various things that my wife and I might discuss about, you know, the last election. And you're like, holy shit, she was really paying attention to that. And <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I feel like we're in a bad place mentally as a, as a country. Well, I think you sort of hit the nail on the head, so to speak, when you said that, you know, throughout this pandemic, which has been going on for a year now, we've had nothing better to do. So, you know, we're, we're isolated at home, uh, many of us. Uh, we, we're not back in our normal work environment. Kids are not back in their normal school environment. And quite honestly, as you pointed out, we've had nothing other than to, you know, sit and listen to a barrage of these conspiracy theories uh, one way or the other. It's like it never ends. It's a constant <laughs> flow of information. And I suspect that once we get out of this and return back to back to so-called normal life, uh, we're not going to pay as much attention to this stuff because there's going to be other things going on. Quite honestly, I think we're just bored right. and, and, we're, and, and we want information. And unfortunately, we're getting information that in, in many cases might be slanted towards one point of view or slanted to the other point of view. But it, it's like we're being, you know, bludgeoned with it every day. And I'm and I'm hopeful that when we return back to some sense of normalcy, that 
not that that's going to stop because I think it's going to continue to a certain extent, but other things are going to come into the picture that will sort of uh, depress it down so that it's, it's, it's not so loud in our universe. And I, th- I feel like one of the things that is kept, you know, it's, it's probably a good and bad thing. Um, a normal person's life doesn't leave a lot of room to explore that kind of stuff. So you get up in the morning, you get your kids off to school or you get ready for work and you head and do your job and you get lunch and you come home and you have to mow the yard and wash the dishes and get dinner. And then, you know, maybe you catch Jeopardy or your favorite show and then it's time for bed. Um, yeah. You know, so your your life is occupied by normal tasks. And I, I think, you know, we've, we had this giant void in between breakfast and Jeopardy that all this other stuff filled, you know. So maybe, right. maybe once everything goes back, it'll be different. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering about that, you know, as uh, there's been all sorts of stats about, you know, alcohol consumption in, in, of, <laughs> in the past year has, you know, gone off the charts as well. So maybe yeah. everything, like you said, will go back to normal. I hope so. I think it will. I think it will. We'll we'll get up and we'll start to do the things that we used to do. And we won't be tied to listening to the news 24 hours a day and all of these other theories and commentations. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll we'll get back to doing what 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 we used to do. And, and just as you said, for for most families, it's exactly what you said. You get up, you go through your routine, you go to work, you you meet with your colleagues, you deal with work stuff, you come home, you deal with the family at night and then you do it all the next day. And you really don't have time to sit around for six or seven hours listening to all this stuff being thrown at you right so did you so just out of curiosity did you write this book through the the past year through the pandemic did or was it been working on it for a while um well i actually got the idea to do it uh, before i left menninger i retired from menninger uh, over a year ago uh but um uh most of the work on this book was done um, you know, this, this, this past year during the pandemic, I was stuck at home like everybody else. So I had more time to work on it. Um, and it took me about, uh, a little less than a year, I suppose, to, to go through the various versions of it and to get it edited and produced. But, but yeah, being stuck at home because I retired, my wife and I had plans to, to do other things and hang around the house all the time. Sure. Um, you know, but uh, but we haven't been able to do that like so many other people. So I did have more time to devote to it. And uh, but it, but it's always been in the back of my mind that after I retired, this is what this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to write this book to help families. And where can people find the book? Um, the book is available on Amazon. Um, it's also available through my website. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to, to do it is to go to the book's website where, where, where a person can read endorsements from psychologists and psychiatrists. They can read book reviews. They can see a sample chapter from the book. They can learn about the parent workbook. Um, and they can um, send, uh, send email messages to me. Um, the, the, the website is www helptheaddictedchild.com www.helptheaddictedchild.com So here's a question for you. So it's a perfect world and you have a magic wand and you can do whatever. So you you wave your wand and whether it's something that all children do, something all parents do, a combination of both, a thing that the government does, society does, you know, how would you, if you had a magic wand, fix this tomorrow? I would go back to really where I started my career, and that's elementary and secondary education. 
and I would um, I would re redesign the uh, substance abuse emphasis starting at a very young age in elementary school. And I would focus that on the neuroscience, teaching kids at a very young age what it means to protect their brain, how these substances work in the brain. You know, I wouldn't have, uh, you know, uh, an education program that focuses on just say no, because that doesn't do anything. Right. But I really would redesign the curriculum starting in the elementary school and being, re being re reinforced every year from elementary through high school on the neuroscience of, of addiction and, and how these substances can interact in a developing brain so that these kids at a very young age begin to see the importance of their brain, how to protect it, and why they should stay away from these substances uh, while their brain is developing. So, so I, would, I would reshape the entire education emphasis on uh, substance abuse. Perfect. And then if there was somebody, so let's just say there's a parent um, you know, that is suspicious that there's something going on with their child or they know there is, um, or you're a, uh, you know, a teenager and you know, you have a problem and you, you happen to be listening to this right now. What are your best steps? What's the best thing to do like tomorrow to try and get back on a path to, to normalcy? Well, as a parent, you want to help your child. So I think you need to, to, to get the resources and the assessments done. Um, you can talk to the school counselor. You can talk to your family physician if you need referrals on who can help you get those assessments and diagnosis done. Um, if you're a teenager and, and, and you recognize that this is getting out of hand, um, I, I think the message is there's hope. Uh, you can overcome this. Um, don't be afraid to to have a discussion with your parents about, you know, not only your use of the substance, but 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 in a way, just as importantly, why you've been using it. Um, you know, there's probably a reason. Now, maybe it's peer pressure. Maybe it's just you like the high, but maybe it's anxiety or depression or something else. So, you know, know that your parents uh, are, 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 are there. Um, there are other people prepared to help you once you make the decision that you want to do something. There, um, there, there is help out there. And, and for parents and for, for the kids, you know, our brains have a remarkable capacity to heal themselves. So once you stop using a substance, uh, your brain starts to heal and you can make some pretty, pretty impressive uh, improvements uh, over a short period of time. So don't give up hope. Perfect. Well, we've went on just about an hour here. That went really quickly. Yeah, it uh, did. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm just going to come right out and say, you know, thank you. Um, I'm always thankful for people like you in the world who are devoting their their life and being to making other people's lives better. I, I'm sure, you know, at the end of the day, you've had a, a few times where you probably have uh, kind of shook your head and, you know, it's probably... I, I can't imagine doing your job, long story short, I, I, and dealing with some of these issues and, and, you know, the troubles of some of these people um, and working through that. So thank you. It, it makes me happy that there's people like you out there. Thank you. Appreciate that. And uh, if you uh, ever need anything else, you know, by all means, we're, we're happy to jump on and talk about whatever. Um, why don't you give us the website? You can get your book one more time. Yes, it's uh, www.helptheaddictedchild.com. And I'll put a link in the show notes, and uh, hopefully everybody grabs a copy of your book. 
I hope so. And, uh, you know, if uh, they send in questions to you or they make comments or just in talking to other people, if you come up with a number of questions that you think people are interested in or, or, or questions that people have, have sent to you, uh, I'll be glad to come back and we can do another question and answer type of format to address any of the issues we didn't have time for for today. That'd be great. Really great. Well, thank you okay. so much, Rick. Have a great night, man. You're you're, you're very welcome. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, John, and uh, have a great weekend. You too, bud. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yep. Bye-bye. Yeah.